If you didn't bring a Bible with you this morning, if you'd hold your hand up real high, the ushers have extra Bibles. We'd be glad to let you use one of ours. And let's all go to Acts, the fourth chapter, Acts chapter four, and then also let's find Proverbs 31, Acts four, Proverbs 31. In Acts, the fourth chapter, we began some weeks ago talking about great grace. And this is our text. Acts 4.33 is a synopsis of kind of an overview of the condition of the church at this time. I mean, there was the Spirit of God fell on the day of Pentecost and, and the lame man at the gate, beautiful, was raised up supernaturally and and man, there's people gotten saved by the thousands and thousands and, and they got in trouble about that healing and got called in front of the elders and got beat and they came back and they told them to never preach it anymore in the name of Jesus, but they come back and all prayed, Lord, give us more boldness to preach and give us some more of these miracles. God shook the house in affirmation. He liked the prayer too. And uh, the Bible says in verse 33, with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Say that out loud, great grace grace was upon them all. all. Let's say it together. Great grace was upon them all. There was something that was on them, all of them, from the least to not just the preachers, not just the folk that had been Saved for 50 years, you know, church is just, just getting going actually. But there's something over the whole group. And the Bible said it's grace. Grace. Now the grace of God is a, an amazing thing. It's such a big thing, it's hard to describe it in a word or two or a phrase or two. But it is the favor of God. It is the opportunities he allows us. It includes the abilities uh, he gives us. Everything that you have ever been able to do that was worth anything, you did it by the grace of God. It's sad that sometimes people get to thinking, well, I worked hard, I'm smart, I figured. You couldn't have opened your eyes in the morning without the grace of God. You couldn't have had another heartbeat, right? You couldn't have found the door to get to anywhere, to get anything done. And when things come together and they work and the result is produced and the goal is reached, you ought to say, thank you, Lord. You've been gracious to me. His grace enabled. But now the good news is there where that grace came from, there's more. He didn't just say grace was on them. What did he say? Great grace was upon them all. And there are different degrees, obviously, of grace. In John 1, he talks about grace upon grace, layered grace. Now, this is good news. If you've been able to do uh, as good as you have with the grace that you have, what if you had more? What would 20% more grace do for you? What would 50% more grace on your life, uh, how would it affect you? What would it be like? I'll tell you what it'd be like. 
the things that you have done uh, strugglingly with difficulty, you would now be able to do easily. And the things that you have been unable to do, you would now be able to do. The areas maybe that you've fallen and failed repeatedly, you would overcome in those areas and put that behind you and never fall again. With enough grace, you can get free from any addiction, any habit. You can resist and overcome any sin with enough grace. With enough grace, you can receive any miracle. There's no miracle too great with enough grace but that you could receive. And with enough grace, you can be what you're called and ordained to be. You can be the man of God, the woman of God, the husband, the wife, the father, the mother. You can be all that you are supposed to be with enough grace. Do you believe it, friends? Are you desirous of greater grace? You should be. Say it out loud. Father, I desire your grace. I desire greater grace. I seek your grace. More grace in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Go with me to uh, Proverbs 31. Now, we are honoring Mother today, and uh, I don't always preach just specifically about Mother on Mother's Day. I believe we should be led and directed, but I do have something in my heart and mind about Mother and about grace today, because God has uh, revealed his graciousness, we're going to talk more about that, in a, a special way. Through godly women, godly wives, godly mothers. Now in uh, Proverbs 31, you see the account, uh, the description, uh, the praise of the virtuous woman, the King James says. I want us to read it, and I want to read to you from the CEV, the complete English version. You read from whatever you have. Verse 10, it says, a truly good wife is the most precious treasure a man can find. All the men said? Amen. Amen. (laughs) Verse 11, her husband depends on her, and the men said, Amen. Amen. And she never lets him down. Boy, this is a virtuous woman. Never lets him down. Uh, Listen to the NIV. In verse 11, says her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. Well, this is something, isn't it? In this messed up world where so many people are trying to dismantle the family, distort and change the family. How many many know that God got it right the first time? Right? He got it right. And a godly man and a godly woman, father and a mother and a Christian home is just a piece of heaven on earth. It is a revelation of God in the earth when it's right. Now, I know a lot of people have been in torment, but they're just not doing it right. Just not doing it right. And the good news is, even though it's been maybe bad and problems, 
it's not too late and it's not too hard for God to fix. He can change it. Do you remember uh, the Israelites had been delivered from Egyptian bondage and and came through the Red Sea and, and all that. But then they traveled just a little bit and they got to Marah and the water was bad. And they couldn't drink the water and they ran out of water and they're, they're concerned they're going to starve, uh, uh, you know, perish of thirst. And uh, I'm sure that they thought we need a new watering hole. We need a new well. But they didn't. I said they didn't. Because they cried out to the Lord and the Lord spoke to Moses and he told him what to do. And he uh, threw in a type of the cross and redemption. And the Bible said the bitter water became sweet. Everybody said out loud, the bitter became sweet. Say it again, the bitter became sweet. How bad was it? Sounds like it was virtually poisonous that you couldn't drink it. and Cows couldn't drink it and goats couldn't drink it. It was terrible. Terrible. But then it became sweet. sweet. See, there's a whole lot of people think, well, that's what I need is a new well. I need a new man. This one I got is crazy. I, I need a new wife. It's a bad woman I got. I, I need a new woman. No, you don't. No, you don't. Yeah, but it's bitter. I mean, it's bitter. Well, that was bitter too. But you serve a God who can turn and make the bitter sweet. Do you believe he's big enough to do that? You believe he's good enough to do that? Hallelujah. Well, Proverbs 31 is talking about a sweet woman. Isn't it? Good woman. God's Word translation, verse 11 says, Her husband trusts her with all his heart, and he does not lack anything good. The easy to read, and when I saw this, I looked at it another time or two, and I wanted to bear it out. It bears out in the original. In verse 11, easy to read, says, Her husband depends on her. Well, I know that experientially. And he will never be poor. He will never be poor. Now, when you get through reading the rest of the the passage and see all the business this woman was into, that begins to make more sense, too. Verse 12 in the complete English version. She is good to him every day of her life. And all the men said, amen. With her own hands, she gladly makes clothes. She's like a sailing ship that brings food from across the sea. She gets up before daylight to prepare food for her family and for her servants. She knows how to buy land and how to plant a vineyard. Now, some preachers have taken pieces of verses here and there, and especially in times past and even in some recent times, And they say, you know, uh, verses about a woman being meek and a woman being quiet and a woman submitting to her husband. And and they come up with the doctrine that the woman basically should just be seen and not heard and barefoot and pregnant and just kind of a second class citizen. Well, you sure couldn't get that from reading this, could you? Because this woman... Has got things on the ball. She knows how to buy land. 
and how to plant a vineyard. She always works hard. She knows when to buy or sell. And she stays busy till late at night. Now, knowing how to buy, when to buy, and when to sell, that would work real good with stocks. And says she spins her own cloth. Well, that's manufacturing. And she helps the poor and the needy. That's outreach. How many of you got to have something to help the poor and the needy? If you are the poor and needy, how much you going to help the poor and needy? Her family has warm clothing, so she doesn't worry when it snows. She does her own sewing. Everything she wears is beautiful. Ladies, how you like that verse? Everything she wears is beautiful. Now, some other mixed up preachers have taken verses uh, from the New Testament that women are uh, to dress modestly, modest clothing, and some way twisted that and turned it into ugly clothing. <laughs> modest is not the same as ugly. Modest means it's not too high, it's not too low, it's not too tight. It's modest. But that does not mean it has to be drab and and fashionless and colorless. No. This paints a picture. Everything the woman wears is beautiful. Outstanding. Her husband is well known, respected leader in the city. Glory. Come on, think about it. It talks about she makes clothes to sell. So let's go back over this. She uh, She's in real estate. She's in agriculture. She is investing. And she's in manufacturing and retail. And she takes care of her family. And is dressed. Ooh, looks amazing. Somebody said, that's a superwoman. That's a woman of God. And with enough enough grace. Now some folks will say, it's impossible. You can't do all that. With enough grace. You can. You can be super mom. Her husband comes in from a long day of talking business and wisdom in the gates and and his wife meets him and says, honey, that piece of land we bought, I sold it and made 500000 a day. And the stocks went up X percent. And this is happening. And we got this taken care of. And he leans back and goes, truly it is written. <laughs> he that finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor. Of the Lord. (laughs) This is no oppressed, inferior person, subdued. No, no. This is a glorious, amazing woman. Amen. See, uh, I know some of this sounds humorous, but the Bible said that the woman is the glory of the man. And it's not how oppressed and pushed down your wife is that makes you look good. That makes you look bad. 
It's how developed and how empowered and how successful your wife is makes you look good. Whose wife is that? My wife. She's something, ain't she? I have such a wife. Glory to God. The Bible goes on to say, verse 25, and let me read this to you in the King James. Strength and honor are her clothing, and she shall rejoice in time to come. Verse 26, she opens her mouth with wisdom, and in her tongue is the law of kindness. Everybody say kindness. Now this has to do with what we've already touched on. God is a gracious God. And this word gracious literally means kind. Kind. And the word kind, if you want to define it further, it means mild. It means gentle. It means tender. Is God kind? Now, especially having ministered on this thought, thinking about it, you know, last night and and today already, uh, I'm seeing more clearly this has not been emphasized as much as it needs to be. The kindness of God. It's something that, that most folk are lacking in their revelation of. And the Lord has given us godly women and mothers as outstanding examples of his kindness. Not that men can't be kind too, but it's portrayed differently in godly women, in mothers. There's a tenderness between mother and child that is God. The Bible says, in talking about this, it says, uh, Her children praise her, verse 28. Well, verse 27 we didn't read. She takes good care of her family and is never lazy. Her children praise her and with great pride her husband says, There are many good women, but you are the best. Hallelujah. Charm can be deceiving and beauty fades away. But a woman who honors the Lord deserves to be praised. Show her respect. Praise her in public. For what she has done. And that's exactly what we've been doing this morning, isn't it? We publicly talking about and praising these uh, wonderful gifts of our mothers. He said, uh, verse 25, strength and honor are her clothing. Verse 26, in her tongue is the law of kindness. Proverbs 11, 16. I want you to notice this one. Proverbs 11. And 16. It says, a gracious woman retains honor. Verse, the NIV says it like this, a kind hearted woman gains respect. A kind hearted woman. Go with me to 1 Peter 3 from there if you would. Let me give you a few scriptures to You know, nothing I say after we read the verse is more important than what we just read. Sometimes people don't pay very close attention to the reading of the scripture, waiting until the comment 
Mm-mm. This is the important thing. So when we give you extra scriptures, that's just a, a better message. <laughs> I can't say anything any better than what he has said. First Peter 3. This is one of those verses we're talking about that people get uh, confused about. Verse uh, 1. First Peter 3, 1. Wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they may also, without the word, be won by the conversation. That means lifestyle, conduct of the wives. Can people be won to the Lord by your conduct, by the way you conduct yourself? And he mentions specifically, verse 2, while they behold your chaste conversation. Now again, conversation, this is the King James. The word has to do with lifestyle, your conduct, the way you conduct yourself, coupled with fear or reverence, chaste, reverent conduct. Verse 3, whose adorning, let it not be that outward adorning of plaiting of hair and wearing of gold or putting on of apparel. Now, people have jumped on this and so, you know, women shouldn't plait their hair and they shouldn't wear gold. Well, if you keep that to the next phrase and they shouldn't wear clothes. Didn't it say of wearing of apparel? See, that's what you get when you just pull a piece out of the verse and try to twist it and make it say something that it didn't say. No, he's saying, don't let it be this, but let it be this. Verse 4. So many doctrines would have never got off the ground if the people would have just read the next verse. But let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. Now this revelation has suffered through the perceived women's movement, women's rights, uh, independent woman, free woman, and it has been perceived that if you were meek and quiet, then you were oppressed. But if God counts something as very valuable in his eyes, why wouldn't you desire it and pursue it? What's the opposite of meek and quiet? <laughs> Proud and loud. What's the opposite of, of quiet? Loud. What's the opposite of meek? Proud. Loud and proud. You don't want to be. You want to be what the Lord values in the NIV. In verse 3. It says, your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair, wearing of gold jewelry, fine clothes. How many know you can have the finest clothes, the best hairstyle, the finest jewelry, and be ugly on the inside. You might look like a million bucks from a distance, but when people get close to you and spend a few minutes with you, they're thinking, ooh, not so nice to be around. And he said, he's not saying you can't have some nice clothes and nice stuff and look nice on the outside, but don't rely and depend on that for your beauty. The true beauty is what's on the inside of you. It's your spirit. 
and the kind of spirit that is the most attractive to the Lord is, he says, the unfading beauty. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, uh, verse 4 NIV, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is of great worth. In God's sight. Now, how many other times did you see the Lord say, this is of great worth in my eyes? This is big. But it takes mind renewal. Because for generations, people have equated meek with weak. And it's wrong. It actually takes much more strength to be quiet than to run your mouth. It takes some strength, huh, to be meek and controlled than to be telling, every, giving everybody your two cents. See, the, the ungodly are acting that way. The unsaved act that way. There should be a major difference between us and them. And really, the reason so many folks are so pushy and so clamorous and so loud is because they're so insecure. And they don't want to come across insecure, so they overcompensate by pushing like the bull into the proverbial china shop. And they just come in trying to give an appearance of I've got it together and I'm a strong person. And the truth is they're not. If you were, you wouldn't act that way. If you really were strong, you'd feel no need to prove to people you're strong because you just are. And they could say all their stupid stuff and you'd just smile knowingly and feel sorry for them and pray for them. Hope they stick around long enough to learn something. Gentle, quiet spirit. This has to do with that kindness, that tenderness. It's valuable to God. I'm seeing it clearer than I have before. Both men and women are to portray this. We're going to touch on it. But the godly woman, the godly mother expresses it in a unique way. Can you say amen? Amen. Go with me to the book of uh, uh, Psalms, please. Psalms. I want us to remind ourselves of the kindness of the Lord. And let his words minister to us. Even if you think you know a little something about it, you suppose you could know a lot more about it. Open up yourself and and let these words come into you. Because even if you've heard some of them many times, they can unfold to you in a different way this morning. And you can see things and hold sides of this you hadn't seen before. Psalm 63. Psalm 63 and 3. It says, because... Your loving kindness. I mean, if you just said kindness, that's good. Loving kindness is better than life. What's better than breathing? His loving kindness. Because even when you get through breathing, you're going to still be in his loving kindness. His loving kindness is what makes life worth living. Sit out loud. Your loving kindness. Your loving kindness. 
is better than life. He said, my lips shall praise you. Because of that, I'm going to praise you. Should we praise him? Psalm 103, familiar psalm. Psalm 103, verse 1. Says, bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me, bless his holy name. Verse 2, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Benefits, plural. Does God have more than one benefit? Verse 3, benefit number one, he forgives all. Your iniquity. Somebody say thank God. Benefit number two. He heals. All. Your diseases. Wonder if that's just as true as benefit number one. Same Bible. Benefit number three. He redeems your life. From car wrecks. And plagues. And. Paint cans falling on your head and <laughs> snake bites and tornadoes. Somebody said, yes. Yes. Crowns you with loving kindness. Oh, somebody say loving kindness. He crowns you. What's a crown? Puts it on your head. Boom. What's it put on your head? Loving kindness. And what else? Tender mercies on your head. Say it out loud. He crowns me with loving kindness and tender mercies. Now listen to the descriptors. Kindness would be good. Mercies would be good. But no, it's loving kindness and tender mercies. Go to Psalm 116. Let these words reveal this part of him to you. The devil has lied about God. Hasn't he? Misrepresented God. So much of the world, if they know anything about him, he's a, he's a holy God. He's a pure God. And he is. But he hates sin. And he does. And he's angry with the sinner. Well, no. Jesus has taken the sin. Hallelujah. And paid the price. And the the impression is left that he's, you know, he created all this and he gave it a spin. And he can hardly be bothered by the mundane things that go on here. But basically he's just mad and upset. Because everything's so... Far out of whack. But the truth is. He's kind. He's tender. Think about. How big he is. And just as powerful he is. He's that kind. And tender too. The Holy Spirit. Do they come any more powerful. Than the Holy Spirit. In the beginning, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Bible said, the Spirit of God 
hovered over the face of the deep. And when the word was spoken forth, the Spirit of God moved and continents rose up out of the ocean. Come on, are you listening? And yet, when he came, the Bible said when he came on Jesus, he came in a bodily shape and form as a, a dove. A dove. He could have come as an elephant. Because he's big. He could have come as a lion. He could have come as a whale. Lightning bolt. Came as a dove. Why? Because of all the forms and shapes he could have manifested this above other things he wants you to know how kind he is how even though he's so powerful how tender he is he didn't want to overwhelm us he didn't want to scare us he wants to love us he wants to be kind everybody say kind kind being kind involves being gentle, being tender. Somebody say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Psalm 116.5 says, gracious is the Lord and righteous. Gracious, gracious means kind. Yea, our God is merciful, merciful. Everybody say, God is kind, God is kind. Gracious. gracious. My God is merciful. Merciful. Can you see we need to meditate more on this? We need to be more aware of this part of his being. 117. We're going to read the whole psalm. Psalm 117. (laughs) Yeah, two verses. Well, if you only have two verses in your psalm, what do you say? What do you emphasize if you only got two verses? How many know this didn't happen by chance? This psalm is this way for a reason. Notice the emphasis. Oh, praise the Lord, all you nations. Praise him, all you people. You in the back, you on the side, everybody. Praise him. Praise him. Praise him. Why? And verse 2 tells you why. Why are we praising him? For his merciful kindness is great toward us. And the truth of the Lord. What will the truth do for you? Make you free. Truth of the Lord endures forever. That's why we praise ye the Lord. Say it out loud. His merciful kindness. Is great toward me. Is great toward me. Say it again. His merciful kindness. His merciful kindness is, great is great toward me. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Put up for us Exodus 22. Exodus 22, 26. The Lord is giving instructions to his people how to live, how to do things. And uh, you get an insight into his nature through these things. And I, I thought this stood out along this line. He's talking about somebody borrowing money from a brother. And he said, 
if you at all take your, uh, well, let's see, put this up in the Amplified, if you would. Verse 26 in Amplified. If you take your neighbor's garment in pledge, so somebody has borrowed money from you and they gave you their garment. Now, in those days, your outer garment was like a coat, but it also did double duty as a blanket at night. And if somebody's giving you that, uh, then they don't have anything. Right? And he said, if you do take that, you shall give it back to him before the sun goes down. Well, wouldn't be much use in taking it then, would it? Give it back to him before the sun goes down. Why? Verse 27. For that's his only covering. His clothing for his body. In what shall he sleep? And when he cries to me, if he don't have it, I'll hear it. For I am gracious and merciful. It didn't matter how he got himself in such a mess. To wind up so low that he's having to give his cloak as collateral for a loan. The Lord says, give it back to him. The Almighty who keeps all the universe going and the stars shining and the oceans moving cares about a man's blanket. He says, I want him to have his blanket. So you give it back to him before dark. So he'll have it. Because if he don't have it and he cries out to me, I'll hear it. And the implication is, and it won't be good for you. Because I am gracious. I'm gracious and merciful. Oh, friends, can you sense the Holy Spirit? Dealing with us in this area. This is him. This is his nature. There has been so much rudeness. Callousness. Coldness. Sharpness. Hardness. And you know people they work out in the world. And they say well you got to be tough. And you got to stand up for yourself. and You can't be anybody's doormat. And, and none of those are scriptures. Well, Daddy always told me this. Mom always told me this. What scriptures did they have? And people get this mindset and they are sharp and they're hard and they justify it for different reasons, but it's not okay. I said, it's not okay. God is kind. I said, he's kind. And we're supposed to be kind. Can you say kind? Oh, thank you, Lord. Does it bless you to see that he's kind? To know that he's kind? Go to Luke 6 if you would. Go to Luke 6. And then also we'll go to Ephesians 4. Luke 6. God is kind. We've established that. But he tells us. We see it in this verse. He tells us to be like him. To be kind like him. And if we're his children. We ought to exhibit that we're his children by portraying his nature. Luke 6 and 35. Jesus said, love ye your enemies. How can you love your enemies? Not by feeling. You do it by faith. 
This is where people make a mistake and think, well, man, I, after what they've done to me, I just don't feel like loving them. He didn't say feel like it. Love is an act. It's a choice. See, people have equated love with a feeling. God is love. God's not just a feeling. Love your enemies. Do good and lend, hoping for nothing again. And your reward shall be great. You'll be children of the highest. For he is what? He is kind unto the unthankful. That's folks who don't even appreciate it. He's still kind to them. And who else is he kind to? He's kind to the evil. Kind. Kind. You don't have to be hard to be strong. This is where people have messed up. You know, so many times uh, boys were taught it by their dads and granddads, and they've taught it to their sons. You know, I'm going to make him tough. I'm going to make a man out of him. And, And they think that means being harsh and hard. And that's ungodly. You do not have to be hard to be strong. You can be absolutely anchored, unmovable, and pressures coming and to move you this way and that, and you can just smile kindly, sweetly, and go, no, no, I love you, but no, and not moved by crying and old daddies and none of that. And yet, you don't have to pound the table and go, well, by Jovis, you're going to do what I say in my house as long as you're under my roof. You go, well, now what if God did that? What if God came down here and planted both feet on the planet and shook us all off of it almost and said, this is my planet. As long as you live on my planet, you're going to do it my, oh, we'd just all melt. <laughs> wouldn't be around anymore. <laughs> The woman is the weaker vessel, the scripture says. That doesn't mean weaker person. Weaker vessel. Vessel is the body. The frame. And that's just a fact. The uh, man's frame is denser, stronger, bigger. But And God portrays his strength differently through the man than through the woman. Doesn't he? And the children and observers from the outside are to see different parts of God through both. Not that you don't have kindness in the man and you don't have strength in the woman. You do. It's just manifested differently. Right? But men sometimes in their effort to be strong have been harsh. And that's ungodly. In Colossians, the third chapter, uh, just uh, hold your place there and, and, well, no, we can leave Luke. Uh, go to Colossians, the third chapter. I know uh, my mother's in here. Mom, would you stand, please? Amen. Thank you. Love you, Mom. Looks nice. You know, Mama is a refuge. Sometimes I got in trouble with daddy. And I knew I was supposed to see daddy when he gets home. I'd talk to mama. Why why would you go to mama? 
Why? Because you expect kindness. Don't you? Not that daddy couldn't be kind, but you just expect more kindness from mama. And then sometimes if I got in trouble with mama and daddy, I go see grandma. <laughs> mama, we called her. Ah, uh, and Papa, man, he could be tough sometime. But if you really got in trouble, just run to Mama. Such a kind soul. I mean, even if we messed up, we still got fresh tea cakes and rice pudding. Oh, that's all right, baby. That's all right. <laughs> I've seen cousins of mine that just heathen. And just, everybody else disowned them. They couldn't go anywhere else. And they come to Mama's house. <laughs> and she just take them in. Love on them. Oh, that's all right, baby. It'll be all right. And they, they needed some of that. Because nobody else had it for them. Everybody else <laughs> was fed up with them. But is that a revelation of God? Will he love you when everybody else is fed up with you? Come on, are you listening? Will he? When everybody else is ready to run you out. Will he put his arms around you? And say, that's all right, baby. I love you still. That don't mean he loves you sin. He's not going to call wrong, right? But he'll still. He is kind to the unthankful. He's kind to the evil. Do you see it, friends? And it is shown in such a tremendous way through godly mothers and godly grandmas. I'm so thankful we had the privilege of, and our parents you know, saw to it, that we had the privilege of growing up around our grandparents. There's such richness there. I think a lot of generations have gotten away from that today. But when it's available to you, take advantage of these opportunities because there's, there's things about God they'll learn through them. That's in addition to uh, how he manifests through you and provides for his richness. Man, I can smell those tea cakes right now. <laughs> Say it out loud, God is kind. Kind. Tender mercies. Loving kindness. This is him. Colossians 3 and verse 19. It said, Husbands, Love your wives and be not bitter against them. The uh, NIV says, do not be harsh with them. So many times people, men and women too, in an effort to be strong and going to lay the law down, and they wind up being hard. There's an edge there, sharpness, coldness that is completely unnecessary. They think it is. And again, so many times people are pushing so hard because they're weak inside. They're insecure. And they feel like they have to project that. And they're trying to overcome their own weaknesses. But no, you don't have to be harsh to be strong. Do you believe it, friends? You can be strong as a granite foundation. You can be strong and just smile. And be immovable. Everybody practice it. Smile. And say no. 
No. No. That means no amount of crying, no amount of begging, no amount of old daddy or mama going to change anything. But you don't have to pound the table. You don't have to get that edge in your eye. You don't have to raise your voice. You don't have to be hard. Do you? Husbands. Now, why would he tell us this? Husbands. He singled us out. Because we portray in particular the strength of God. And we're supposed to portray headship and leadership. But there's a tendency, if you don't do the right thing, in the flesh you can go too far. You can be hard. We don't need to be hard. Do we? I'm going to ask you a question again. Can you be strong without being harsh? Yes. Yes, you can. Mothers, daddies, all of us. Don't be harsh. Look in uh, Ephesians 4. God is gracious. That word means kind, tender, gentle. Have you examined and thought about the fruit of the Spirit? Name off some fruit of the Spirit for me. Love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, meekness, temperance. This is not a mean personality, is it? This is kind. Friend, this should be a standout part of our witness in the earth. Because the workplace, the marketplace, entertainment, no matter where you go, there is rudeness. Isn't there? Rudeness, abruptness, sharpness, all around. People pushing and elbowing and out of my way. I was here first. What are you doing? And so many times, even if you said the right thing or said something needed to be said, you didn't have to say it that way. You didn't have to say it at that volume and at that tone. You notice any difference in what's going on in here? Or what are y'all doing? <laughs> Reckon you'd get a different response. The harshness, the sharpness, people just they'll freeze up and they'll go, uh, I didn't do it. <laughs> Wasn't me. They don't even know what you're talking about. Everybody say kind. Ephesians 4, 30. It says, grieve not the Holy Spirit of God whereby you're sealed until the day of redemption. Don't grieve him. Now this is a familiar phrase to most churchgoers about grieving the spirit. But there's a lot of misconception about that. I think some people have kind of got the idea that the spirit of God is flighty, touchy. He kind of comes in the back, beginning of the service. Goes, up, up, that's it, that's it. I'm out of here. I knew it. I knew you were going to grieve me. <laughs> it's not true. You talk about gracious. You talk about put up with a lot of stuff out of us. I assure you, we didn't do everything right this morning in the service. To my, you and me. All of us. And uh, But the Lord is looking at our heart. He's looking at our heart 
And unless there's something blatantly wrong in the heart, he just kind of smiles and winks and goes, okay, all right, next. And he tolerates it. He, his tolerance is amazing. He's kind. We kind of hit it halfway on the edge and got about 3% right. And he goes, oh, that's good, that 3%, yeah. And doesn't emphasize if he knows our heart's right. And if he's grieved, there's good reason why he was. It's a matter of violating what you know. Doing things you know you shouldn't be doing. That's what's going on there. But the very next verse gives you detail into what would grieve him. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit, he said. Verse verse 31, what's going to grieve him? Bitterness. Bitterness. Now we already saw in Colossians, bitterness in the NIV, they translated it harshness. Bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking. Would these things grieve the Holy Spirit? You're bitter, mad, upset, steaming, fuming, clamoring, talking stuff you ought not be talking, malice, evil intent. Verse 32. Don't do that. That'll grieve him. Instead, do what? What's going, this is not what's going to grieve him. This is what's going to please him here in verse 32. Be ye kind. One to another. He's telling us how not to grieve the Spirit. When you were born again, the love of God is shed abroad in your heart. And if you won't harden yourself, if you'll let that love stay at the surface, then you'll be aware of people around you and what's going on with them and the effect your words and actions are having on them. And you will not, you don't want to hurt them or embarrass them or or make them look bad or, or make them uncomfortable. Love is patient and love is kind. The NIV says in 1 Corinthians 13. Say it out loud. Love is patient. Love is kind. And so you'll be aware. When you get to the place where you just go blaring through the day and you're leaving a trail of problems and you're not aware that the last three people you talked to cried for five minutes after you left, then you are not walking as a child of the Lord. I've seen people, I've seen preachers just be rude and mean. And they looked at me because I guess they could tell I didn't, I wasn't approving of it. And they said, well, I'm sorry, but that's just my anointing. I have a prophetic anointing. Not the prophetic anointing, my foot. That's called flesh. Flesh. It needs to be crucified. You have to make an effort to be kind. You have to pause. You have to slow down. You have to get a hold of yourself. You have to turn the volume down some. You have to think more carefully about what you're going to say. How are they going to hear this? How is it going to affect them? How, not just do they understand what I'm saying. How am I coming across? And if you care enough to look and want it to be right, the Lord will show you. He will. He will get involved in your business and you'll start coming on too hard and too strong and you'll say, hey, 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 hey. What are you doing? And you'll go, oh, hmm, sorry. Dial it down. If it's not kind, it's not okay. 
He is kind to the evil. He's kind to the unthankful. And he said, you be kind one to another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. There's a picture of tenderness that is unparalleled. It's of a mother and a nursing child. And the Lord used it on more than one occasion. I want you to look at an Old Testament reference and a New Testament reference of the mother and child. When that child first comes into the world, there's already been that contact in the womb. And now, outside the womb, there's that same soft touch. There's that same tender voice. And that child is aware before it has any cognitive abilities to discern and distinguish people or God. That child is experiencing, should be, love, peace, joy. Child doesn't know English or any other language yet. But a touch can say much, can it? Tenderness, gentleness, grace. There was a time in Isaiah, Israel was saying, God has forgotten me. God has forsaken us. And this is how, what the Lord used to correct them and comfort them in Isaiah 49. This is in the NIV. Isaiah 49:14 Zion said, "The Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me." They felt like it. It looked like it. Seemed like it. Verse 15. This is what the Lord said to them. "Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born?" How many mothers give birth Get released, get home, home from the hospital for three days and go, where's the baby? Did we leave the baby at the hospital? Uh Uh-uh. No. Not a chance. Is a mother going to forget her nursing baby? He said, though she may forget, it's possible. We've heard of mothers that have done bizarre things. But. 999,999 times out of a million, that mama is not going to forget that baby. That's right. Right? Come on. But I, even if a mama could forget, I will not forget you. When he endeavors to give them the strong picture that he loves them and his tenderness toward them, this is what he uses. And in the New Testament, what is it, 1 Thessalonians? 1 Thessalonians 2, that's right. 1 Thessalonians 2. A man can exhibit this kindness too, can't he? Certainly should. He'll just do it in a a little bit different way than the mother. But you put them together and you see a, a spectrum of the kindness of God. He's all of this. He said to them in 1 Thessalonians 2 and 6, he said, as apostles of Christ, this is the NIV again, 
We could have been a burden to you. We could have come in and said, look, I have authority over you. You got saved under my ministry. You're going to do it this way. But, verse 7, but what? We were gentle among you. Like, what's the perfect picture? Like a mother caring for her little, little ones, children. We loved you so much. Verse 8, that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. People picture the Apostle Paul as a fiery preacher and such miracles and signs and wonders and somebody that just blaze into the middle of Devils and unbelief and preached the gospel where it wasn't heard and some didn't want it. And he was all that. But if you spent any time with him, you'd note what a kind he also was. A gentle man. Do you have a desire for this to grow in you? To be manifest in you, through you? It starts at the house. Are y'all with me? It starts at home. In the car. You don't have to agree with everything to be kind. <laughs> I had a fellow come one time and, and he said, uh, such and such and such to me. And I said, yeah. He said, so you understand this and this and this. And I said, yeah. And he said, so then you understand such and such and such. I said, yeah. He said, so, so you agree. I said, no. <laughs> he said, what? I said, no. Yeah, but you said you understand. I said, yeah, I understand what you're saying. But you don't agree? I smiled real even bigger. I said, no. I don't agree at all. Do you have to get huffy? Do you have to get annoyed? Do you have to get mean? I had a guy chased me down the hall one time after I'd spoken. He said, I don't believe it. I don't believe a word. He said, I don't like you. What do you say to that? I don't like you. I had a woman one time at a conference. She said, ooh, my husband likes you. Ooh, he just will listen to you all the time. I said, I ain't much on you myself. <laughs> but, he, but he likes you. <laughs> I said, okay. Well, he likes me. <laughs> but the guy said, I, I don't like you. I, said, I just I smiled big. I said, you just don't know me. If you knew me, you'd like me. I think that made him madder. <laughs> But if I get in the flesh and get mad and get hurt, now I'm not representing the Lord right anymore. I'm in the flesh. And the Bible said the wrath of man does not work the righteousness of God. But if I can stay calm and if I can love even people that are trying to be my enemy, if I can be kind to people that are totally ungrateful and unthankful, people that are evil, then I am being like my Father. I'm being like my God. Can you say amen? Amen. Stand on your feet, everybody. Let's lift up our hands. Let's begin to thank Him for being who He is and what He is and the way that He is. Praise be unto God. Praise be unto God.
This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.